0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. All
1: right, uh, would you please stand for the reading of the gospel this morning? A reading from the gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 37 to 41. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. This is a very important text, and I'm not going to say too much about it because we have something fun and interesting this morning, but what I will say about it is this. Almsgiving is very important, and, and alms always need to be given to where there's some sort of poverty. And so... Typically speaking, alms is associated with the giving of money, and we give money to those areas that are in desperate need of things like, say, Thanksgiving dinner uh, during the holidays. Salem, you excel in financial almsgiving to the tune of, in three weeks, $5,000 came in from this church to feed people and Beacon. There's times in life when you have to speak in faith, and there's times in life when you don't because you're certain about something. I'm not preaching today, so we'll just let that hang for a minute. We realized when we wanted to move our, mini- our missions into the Beacon community where our church is located one of the things we realize is there's a marketable difference between the way uh, charity is offered in the city and the way charity is offered in the suburbs. And so when we went down to Queens with the Legacy Center uh, through Saints Church, then Christ Tabernacle in Queens, you can just open up boxes of food and boxes of, uh, you know, gloves and and hats and coats and backpacks, and people will gladly come and take it and, and thank you for it. When you come to the suburbs and do that, even people in need, it's just a different vibe And they kind of don't want it to be so obvious. And so we realize that for for up here, if we're going to give charitably, we need to partner with with agencies already here that people trust, that people know, and are already working. It's not our job to recreate a new food pantry. It's our job to partner with the ones that the surrounding area already trusts. Uh, Amen? And so every time I sit in meetings with I am Beacon, with Kenya from open arms, with Father John from St. Andrew's St. Luke's food pantry, whenever I sit in meetings, they always say, "We have the structure and we have the manpower, but we don't always have the finances." And at the beginning, I would say in faith, but now I say it, with no faith needed, we will supply anything you need, just tell us. Salem Tabernacle will be there and we will offer it. And you have every single time. Every time. People always thank myself and, and our board for, for you know working through the finances and, and getting them organized and inside the edges. But I have to say, you could work on finances all day long. If you're not generous, God is not gonna allow the money to flow through. So we could have like it reminds me of the New York Giants. You could have the greatest system but if you don't have the players it doesn't make any difference all they'll do is win a game every once in a while to make you think there's a chance they'll just string you along like that girl in high school did just string you right along and it turns out she goes to the prom with your best friend the cowboys it's not fun there's no bitterness or anything just examples no, it's it's we have the players here. You all have as much to do with what's happening in this church and what's I don't want to say what's happening in it, what's happening through this church financially is because you all are some of the most generous people not just I've ever seen, but the pastors around us have ever seen. You're making a name for yourself which we know we're making a name for Jesus, amen, amen. through this generosity. So I honestly want to thank you for the alms giving. That you, that you guys are so generous and it's so wonderful and it, it just makes me look so good in meetings and I thank you so much <laughs> but this text is a, shows a different kind of almsgiving Jesus says give as alms those things that are within wow. so remember you give alms to the areas where there's poverty and the easiest way to see that is the poverty financially and so you give money but there's another kind of almsgiving for another kind of poverty, and it's the almsgiving of what is within us, our testimony. There's moments where you step into a third world situation, or a third world spiritual state of a person's life, for lack of better words, or an impoverished area in someone's heart, and they need the alms of your story. They need the alms of what God is doing in you. It might not be a, like, it's silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I say to you in the name of Jesus, take up that mat and go home, right? Like, that's also almsgiving, amen? And there's also the almsgiving of story. This one thing I know. I was blind, and now I see. I don't, I don't have any other answers for you. You could look at all the science. You could watch every TikTok video you want. I couldn't see, and now I can see, and I'm pretty sure that man from Galilee touched my face, and now I can see again. Amen? So you all have that story, and there's a moment where God wants you to take that story out of the bank, write a check with that story, and tell it, because it's going to bring wealth. It's going to be food. It's going to be a coat. It's going to be gloves, spiritually, to warm, to feed, to let somebody else's life know there is a God, and he is working in people just like me. This morning, it is my honor. I, I, I just, these are the moments where I'm just like, I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living. I get to ask two of the most special people who have blessed my life in ways that I will tell you and in ways that I will never say out loud. They have blessed my life so many ways, Jacqueline's life in so many ways. Their heart is for the Lord. They care about each and every one of you. They, they endure, they love They love when it's easy. They love when it's extremely difficult. And and there's just, there's stuff that we can say out loud, and there's stuff that we just know between the three of us that God has just done so many amazing things in their life. And it is my pleasure and honor to ask to come up here, Mark and Sheena Rumnett. Come on up here, and with the rest of you, put your hands together for Mark and Sheena Rumnett. Just get the tissue box out here. It's fine. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. They dressed in synchronicity, in unity, in harmony. We got kind of the same shoes on, though, so praise the Lord. Right, we're, we're I'm just going to
0: say today was a good day.
1: Today is a good day, yes. and it just got a little better when you guys came up here. By the way, Sheena, I, I feel like you could insult somebody's life. And, and they would swear that you complimented them because of how beautiful your voice is. Like,
2: she does that to me all the time. <laughs> she insults me all the time.
1: I am so, I am so honestly happy to have you here. Before we even jump into anything, would you each just tell everybody your name? Tell everybody how old you are? Give them your credit card numbers, social security number? Just, just tell them how long you've been at the church. Just quickly, quickly introduce yourself, and then we'll get into the testimony. Um, my name is Mark Rumnit. Um, 50 years
2: old <laughs> still <laughs> um, we came to Salem in 2008 2008 yeah two, uh, two, 2009. 2008 2009, 2009. Um, and we've been here ever since and, and we have you know. a- endured this ride and um, there's a lot so go ahead, Sheena.
0: I'm Sheena Rumnett, I am uh, the voice of our podcast every time people for, listen like, the third time um, and I came with him and uh, we have just found somewhere that has just been a blessing and been a home for us, um, somewhere we can just lay down our troubles um, and, you know, be supported, but also support. So we just love it.
1: Yeah, and we're, we we have a home in you, and I can even say for Jacqueline and I, you, you have been so hospitable to us, especially um, in, in in 2020 when the world was popping off and things were going crazy and we couldn't be here to actually like get the church into a room you know the holy spirit had us call you guys and ask you for some help through some of the issues that were happening in the world and I'll never know how difficult it is for you to share in that space, for you to have to explain things in that space, but the fact that you did and you were generous with what you know, you're generous with your life experiences. You 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 make Jacqueline and I better pastors by by being that way. And we know it's not easy, and we thank you so much for that. I mean, it is you you have been a home for us as much as this room has been a home for you. And so we love you guys very, very much. Very, very much. And you can bake them desserts, man. You can bring them over my house anytime you want to. I didn't even tell my family the last time you did. Who was that at the door? Nah, the, somebody was asking for directions. I don't know who it was. Um, so I say, I said to, to you, Mark, I said, so we're just gonna, we're going to talk about your testimony, and we're going to talk about when you got sick. And you said, well, it starts a little bit before I got sick. And I said, well, then there we go. There's our introduction. I will tell the people that I said to you, Let's start with when you got sick. And you said, no, we got to start a little bit before that. So would you please set the table for us uh, for, for your testimony? Share how you feel led and just know whatever you both share is exactly what the Spirit wants said today.
2: Thank you, Pastor. Um, it's been crazy this morning. It's, this has been a wild, Even in the sanctuary this morning, there's been all kinds of signs hitting me in the face. And I was really nervous about, doing this, I was concerned. And I was just asking for a sign and when Pastor came to us a few weeks ago, um, he said, you know, the timetable's changed, we we'll move you up, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, what are we gonna do? And I was looking for a sign. I was looking for, you know, should, should we do this? Should, um, should, should I even go through with this? Um, and um, Dale Vansteen, Pastor Dale Van Steen came and that was another sign. But Pastor Bill sent me a text Um, can I read it? Read it. Um, Pastor Bill sent me a text and I was like, this is confirmation. But he said it was because of something else. He was, he was just trying to get people in church.
1: (laughs) I was sending a text message to our leaders just to, just to interrupt their morning slumber and wake them up and just be like, Hey, by the way, it's Sunday. Like, that's what I was trying to do. So I tried to put a little clever little thing together and and say it. And I didn't know that it was a deep confirmation for somebody.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I came running out the room telling Sheena, Sheena, this is it. We've hit, like, we need to say something. So I'll read, I'll read what Pastor sent and then um, we'll, we'll go from there. right? Um, he said, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Psalms 3. Um, uh, Psalm 63.3. And then he said, uh, we waste ourselves poking for life to be good. What we want And then when we want it. The psalmist, when he was in the hot, dry, unproductive wilderness, realized that the love of Christ is better than anything he could ever imagine life being. So he must praise him. Then Pastor went on to say, Paul says, eyes has not seen. Jesus says, I am the life you yearn for in all your desires. It's me. I'm in it. Stop yearning. Stop pining. I am here. I am life. Ask me for a drink, Lazarus. Come forth, little girl. Arise, ears be open. Father, forgive them. Today you're with me in paradise. Why wouldn't we come into the church already praising, moved and melted by this love life? See you soon.
1: Yeah, man. Somebody should publish that. That was. Really <laughs> really and
2: I was just like, this is it, Sheena. This is our story. It's all written here. Um, the journey, the, the story, um, what we're going through, or what we had went through. Um, and uh, if I didn't need any more confirmation, this was it.
0: And you know, I was already sold. Um, I already knew, there's certain things that have happened in the church where I knew I was gonna be called, and I didn't want to be. Like I'm not a, a, a person that likes to be out in front. I'm not a person that you know, likes to be you know, the center of attention. Um, but I, I know that there's things where I, I, can, I can kind of see myself doing things or I know somebody's going to ask me to do it. And so I knew that, you know, when, when it comes to like reading the lectionary and things like that, when I first had to do that, I, I didn't want to do it, but I knew I had to. Um, I knew I was called to. And so this was also something that I was like, okay, we, we, we don't have a choice, we have to do this. Um, but when we, um, but when, we, when we thought about it, we thought about the fact that You know our journey is um, I'm not a person that believes in coincidence or luck Um, and I have to say that our journey is just uh, kind of uh, reinforces that for me because we are uh, people who come from two very different places um, and how did we get here you know how is it that I'm born you know in London uh, in a family that's working class working poor he's born in Brooklyn in a family that's the same. How do we get to a point where we're actually here together, Mm. have a family, um, are doing what we need to do? And so for me, there is no luck whatsoever in any of that. And all the way through our journey, I see that um, played out. Um, But in 2008, we had, um, we were kind of trying to, 2007, 2006, we were kind of trying to figure out what we wanted to do. Hated our jobs. <laughs> just well, not he might not have hated his, but he was in a not in a good place. I was not having it. I was just, just didn't didn't want to be there. Wanted to do something else. Wanted to be my own boss. We decided we were going to go ahead and open our own business, um, which is what we did. We opened up a franchise. Um, we were just trying to get ahead. Um, we were trying to live the American dream. Uh, We felt we were living in the American dream. Uh, You know, we had to have the house and the car, and you know, we had the kids, had a dog. Uh, You know, we needed to go on vacation, and we needed to, you know, all these things. And we had the business. Um, And so we both quit our jobs. Um, So Mark ran the business full-time. I was behind the scenes. I left my job, and I took uh, care of the kids full-time. At this time, um, when fear, really fear was born, um, and Liam was too. Um, that's when all this happened. And then
2: uh, we thought we were living that perfect life. We were chasing it on our own. We we didn't have God at the center of our life. Um, we were chasing it on our own. We thought we could do it on our own. We were living in the material world of um, just trying to have it all. Um, and we thought we did. We, we, we thought we were doing pretty well. <laughs> you know, we had a little money in the bank. We. We were doing
0: all right we had a house that had like the den was a movie room we had the posters up it was dark we had a massive 50 inch at that time big screen tv everything was great
2: we had all the trappings and um i remember sheena coming to me one day saying i don't feel fulfilled Mm. she said i don't this house doesn't feel like a home and i just like kind of sunk my heart and i was like. Well, well, we did everything we were supposed to do. And Sheena was like, no, this just doesn't feel like home. And I was like, wow. Um, at that point, that was a jogging of something in me, but Sheena can go on with the rest of the story. Were you
1: walking with the Lord at this point?
2: We, we, we were faithful, but we had no church home. We, we weren't going to church regularly. Um, we were still struggling with... Um, where our faith was going to land. Mm. Because she grew up in a different faithful household. Um, I grew up Baptist, um, and then, you know, by the time we got together, we were struggling with how we were going to bring that together. So we were, we were living in the materialistic world, kind of just drowning our, drowning our, 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 our thoughts in that. Mm. Like, just, just living in that world, you know, working hard, you know, getting all the jobs that we could get making money, just, just going for it. And there was no, God wasn't at the center for sure. Mm.
0: Right, everything, I, I, I grew up in a house where I knew that, um, you know, that God was um, real and that he was someone to be worshiped, um, that you should, you know, um, have a, a regular routine with him, go to church and all that kind of stuff. But I kind of put that on the back burner Um, when I you know came here and I didn't really know what to do I I, you know Mark wasn't very enthusiastic about it because he I think was a little bit disillusioned with church Um, and so I put it on the back burner um, to kind of not push the issue with him Um, and so everything else came before God put it that way everything else came before he did because everything else just seemed so much more immediate
2: it was easy to drown yourself in the material world um, and not face what you should be facing, um, and not chasing God, right? Um, I, I, I was, I can tell you I was, I was concerned. I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think, um, I had a lot of baggage in my past and walking into church doors, I was like, oh my goodness, I don't think I'm good enough to be in church. Like, why would, you know, I just, I just struggled with it. And, um, 2008 landed on us, and uh, go ahead.
0: And so we, um, uh, the financial crisis happened in 2008. We were in business for a year, and a little bit more than a year, and we were really struggling. We had a business that was uh, bringing in a good amount of money each month, but none of it came to us. Like, not one penny out of all of those months did we have come into our bank account. Everything was going out. Um, and so we didn't really have a leg to stand on. And what ended up happening was that we lost everything. We lost um, wow. the house. We lost our... A car. We had to sell what we could, sell our belongings. We didn't know where we were going to go. Um, we, we knew that we were in... It was a bad situation.
2: We... Um Sold everything, like anything that could move, <laughs> we were selling it. Craigslist
0: right? was our friend at that point, right. and so whatever we could get, that's what we did.
2: And we had nothing. And um, I said to Sheena, um, "All right, we're, we're at we're at the bottom. There's nothing. There's no else we can go." Um, but this story gets more interesting as we go. I said, "There's no else we can go to her." And I said, um, "We could do poor because we grew up poor." So. Let's do poor, <laughs> you know, like, and I said, the only thing that the kids would need is a routine um, and us, our, our, our marriage. They needed us together um, as we fought through this, this, this devastating time. So um, we gave up everything. Um, everything was gone and we moved into a small little apartment in Beacon. We came over the water um, and we, were, we moved into a 900 square
1: foot apartment. <laughs> And we had no money in the bank. We had nothing. But don't underestimate that little point that you just said. When you said we could do poor, yeah. you just basically took a scenario that you grew up in that was tough, that at the moment was a little bit weakness, and immediately realized in that moment what we thought was weakness is actually going to be strength. And so everybody listening should know if you're in a season right now that seems like the, the it's just bottoming out bad, you will at one point in your life need that strength from that season that you think is weakness right now. It will be the let, we can do poor moment for your life moving forward. So journal your way through the tough times because they become stones that you can stand on later in life. That's, a, that's an amazing point, man. Don't be slipping them little points by <laughs> like that. Like, that's a and, you know, the funny
2: thing is is that... um we were not only poor financially, we were poor spiritually. Hmm. Just add that piece to it. We were poor spiritually as well. Um, and that's when we started the conversation on where are we going to go to, we started looking for Jesus. We, you know, you can go ahead.
0: Yeah. I'm just going to say that, um, you know, we can sit and talk about it now because it's not, the wound is not as deep as it used to be. Um, but it was a bad time. It was a time of stress it was a time of not knowing what to do it was a time of yeah what if, you know how are we gonna how are we gonna do this we we had a lovely house we were gonna go to what we were gonna go to a place with like just two two bedrooms and a, it was a what it was a box it was tiny um you know we had to go somewhere where we felt safe um and so what we did was we just we we, we gave it to the lord we started to pray i mean i was praying Mark was praying, and we gave it to the Lord and just said, you know, do what you need to do with us. Amen. Um, and it was, it was like going into a black hole. We didn't know how this was going to turn out. Um, so we went, um, so we came across the water. We were in Newburgh at the time. We came across the water um, to Beacon. It actually turned out to be a really nice place that we ended up in. Beautiful community, beautiful people. Um, But we needed to find more, and so we started churching. We started started to go to a few different churches, figure out where did we want to go. And we actually found one that was, um, it was comfortable, but once again, it didn't feel quite right. Mm. And so um, we had um, our kids, we had to, one of the things we had to do, we had had to change the daycare that our kids were in. Our kids were in this um, daycare that was absolutely wonderful. Um, but we had to change, and we had to prey on who they were going to go to next because we had to, we had to feel comfortable with them going to people that we didn't know. And we came across somebody who was uh, fantastic. In fact, she, uh, Mark was the one who uh, vetted her first, and it just so happened that her kids um, went to the Oasis, went to the school, um, Oasis Church School, and she had said something to us in the beginning. I wasn't really paying much attention, but I did see on her bulletin board she had the logo for Oasis. So as we were looking, I went online and I said, "I need somewhere that's a non-denominational church. I need something that's a little bit more neutral for me." Because you know, I came up like Church of England and stuff, and I, it was quiet, and you know, it was not much raising the hand, and there was no you know Holy Spirit. And they say it was you know, um, and then I came, and then I came here, but. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> But um, so I saw it and I was like, wait a minute. And this was like weeks later. I was like, wait a minute, that um, Oasis, that logo looks very familiar. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's where Deborah, her kids go to school. And like literally the next Sunday, I said to Mark, this is where we're going to go. And the next Sunday we walked in the door and um, that's when things kind of changed for us. We were still, you know, feeling it out. We're like, is this real? Because I'm seeing people like... Running up and down, and you know, there, there's you know, prophetic words and uh, talking in tongues, and, and I'm like, what is going on here?
2: And Pastor um, Phil Arstead, or now Bishop Phil Arstead, was the pastor at the time, and um, Mark Arstead was the worship leader, and, and giving us a word, um, you know, during the worship time, we were praising and worship, and he would giving us a word, and um, I remember sitting in the back, just like this is this is feels like home, Amen. and um, I started crying. For no reason at all, just started crying, um, and I was like, "This is this is this this might be it." So I remember um, Bishop Phil giving a sermon one day, um, and, and mind you, uh, was still kind of just recovering. Right, we 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 looked for jobs. Um, we were we were we had no savings. We had no money. We were just trying to feed the kids and just you know just just finding a home. And I remember. Pastor uh, Bishop Phil said, um, you know, life is so beautiful. God has made life so wonderful. And that um, it's so perfect that if there was just one little cell that was off, it could change your whole world. Or one little thing that, you know, happens along the way. And you might not take it for, you know. You know, you might not, you know, pay attention to it, but just that one little thing can just kind of throw you off.
1: Like one little Lego that you happen to sell right. on one day because <laughs> your daughter doesn't listen to you. Right.
2: Mm. One little cell. And, and I was sitting there amazed, like, wow, he's so right. Like, you know, after all we've been through, and, and I thought we were at the bottom. I thought we were done. Like, I, you know, financial embarrassment, you know, just the shame. The pain. I mean, we were we were at rock bottom, or so we thought. <laughs> you you want to add anything to that before we go into the next phase?
0: I, I don't know. I, I um.
1: How we, were you guys together during this time of transition? How like were, were were you guys communicating? Was it like were you on the same page? Because that's a huge blessing right there.
0: We definitely were, and we were um we were a unit. Like we were on the same page. We agreed. Um. There wasn't any f- much that we didn't uh, um, agree on. We knew what we had to do. It was like being on a mission. It was like, okay, so we this is where we are. Now we've got to start climbing back up. So th- we've got to take some steps, some baby steps, and we need to find our way out of this.
1: Because that's what I want people here to hear about the story, too. I, I love, I could listen to your story a thousand times in a row, but one of the things I love is that you fought against that spirit of accusation when you were stressed. And it's easy to accuse the people closest to you when you're stressed, even if it's not their fault, it's just someone to project onto. But when you do that enough, you start to fracture the unity of a home and then even blessing will break it at that point. And so I think it's amazing that you guys were able to fend off. Like you say you were poor in spirit and I'm sure there's some truth there, but there was some firepower under there enough to keep the devil whose name is the accuser away and that you could be that unit moving forward. That's, that's an amazing part of the testimony there.
2: And we just, on top of just trying to you know, recover, we, we knew that the kids needed us as well. Yes. Um, they needed us to be their anchor, um, mm-hmm. despite whatever else was going on around us. We, we wanted to keep them in some sort of you know, good pattern, um, good, you know, good place for them mm-hmm. um, to not be infected by what we were, what, what we had
1: That's why You guys were walking in the spirit. Maybe didn't even know. We didn't even know. <laughs> we, this, is, this, is, this is all happening so
2: fast, and we didn't know anything. Wow. Um, so then, as I was saying, we, we thought we had hit the bottom. Um, but one day, I'm at work, because I found a job. Thank, you know, praise God. You know, not only did I get one job offer, I got two job offers. So I, I landed on this one particular place, um, SUNY New Paltz. I can say it, you know, um, at the College of SUNY New Paul's. And I'm at work in 2010, uh, spring of 2010, in April, and um, I bumped my leg on the table. Boom. And, you know, I didn't think of anything of it. You know, like, okay, I bumped my leg. But it, it, it hurt extremely bad. Like, it was like a lot of pain. And I was like, this is unusual pain. Like, I'm, I can take pain. I thought I could take pain. But this little bump on the leg was more than just a bump on the leg. So um, Friday went by, and I woke up Saturday morning, and now this pain has migrated into my my abdomen, my, my groin area. And I'm thinking, gee, bump on a leg? Now I'm feeling it in my my groin area. Like, what is going on? Um, and Sheena's like, well, if you're still in pain on Sunday, yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll go to the hospital. <laughs>
0: Cause he was getting on my nerves. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I've seen this before. You got a cold, now you're dying. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I was just like, look, if you are not better by Sunday, we're gonna go to the hospital, we have to. Um, and that's when he wasn't and it, he was feeling worse.
2: So yeah, Sunday morning came and I was like, Sheena, you go to the store. When you come back, we'll go to the hospital. Cause I, I was giving in at that point. I was like, all right, we're just gonna go to the hospital. Cause like, you know, this can't be that bad. Um, and Sheena said, we're going to pack up the kids, and, and, and we're going to go. Um, so we get to Vassar Brothers Hospital, and, and I'm in a lot of pain at this point, um, in the groin, in the leg, and uh, they're running tests, and I'm laying in there in bed, and at this point, you know, mind you, I was in the best physical shape of my life. Like, I was doing the um, P90X series, the workout series. I had went through the whole series. I, was I said lit- to
1: encourage people, man, don't discourage <laughs> us. <laughs> Hanging upside down and things like that all night long, like Batman was, or whatever.
2: I was 39 and I was I was strong. I, I thought
1: I was. I mean, well, my current age, he has to throw in right, right now. I was. I get it.
2: I was good. I was like, all right, this is you know. And then I'm laying in the bed and I'm like, where's all this pain coming from? So um, the doctor finally comes in and we we accost her. We're like, hey, you know, we've been sitting <laughs> here for like hours. Like, what's going on? And the doctor says, um, well we're waiting for the specialist, and I'm sitting there like, hmm, specialist, like what, what specialist? She said, we think you have cancer. That punched me right in the face. Oh my gosh. Boom! And I'm, and, and like, I'm laying in bed and I'm hearing her, and I'm not hearing her, and I'm looking at the ceiling and it's starting to spin, and all you hear is like, and Charlie Brown, wah, 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 And I finally zap, you know, snapped out of it, and she says, yeah, we're waiting for the specialist.
0: Well, you know, I just thought that she didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> I, 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 you're, you know, you're out of your mind. Um, we, we need to go to a, a different hospital. Um, and so we're waiting there. We're waiting for the specialist to come in, and then this, this guy comes in. He's in his jeans. He's in, like, a regular shirt. And I'm like, this dude could be anybody. Where's his stethoscope? Where's his coat? Who is this guy? And he turns out to be, his name is Dr. Agoliati, Um, he is a specialist in blood cancers, and he goes away, and he reads the notes, and he comes back, and he says, I think that you have ALL, um, and um, leukemia, and so, still, we're like, nah, you've got to be wrong this is this is not happening we need to go to the sea okay now, yeah, <laughs> That's what
2: I before this um and you know we we skipped over some things we were going to church regularly right we were we were, yeah, we were, in, we in, were in church for a while we yeah. prayed but we were very new um and we were just picking up some things that pastor uh bishop phil was saying and and mark was saying and, and and you know we were picking those things up and then some of the stuff that I learned when I was younger was starting to come back and and, and we were we were still, we still felt raw and new. And um, he says to us, get out of here. You know, you don't belong here. Uh, give you some painkillers and see me tomorrow on Monday. And I'm sitting there like, okay, uh, all right. So um, we leave, we go home. Now, mind you, this is Sunday and I, I try to go to sleep. And uh, this was the first night, uh, as I closed my eyes, I'm literally watching my life unwind in my mind. Hmm. Memories that I had long forgotten wow. were coming back as I closed my eyes. I was just watching everything unwind. And, and this was like in phases. So Sunday night it was the first night that I started realizing. I was like, I'm not going to go back to sleep. <laughs> I'm just not going to go to sleep. So Monday came. We went down to... Um, his, his his place, and he says, yeah, we can't test you here, but we're going to send you to Westchester for Tuesday. And at this point, I'm in a lot of pain. Like, the pain is everywhere. Um, I didn't want to take the painkillers because I didn't want to get addicted. Um, and there were some issues with that. But Tuesday comes, and we make it to Westchester. We, we head down. But again, Monday night, I'm, 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 again, closing my eyes, and I'm watching my life unwind, unwind, unwind. Um, so Tuesday comes, and we make it to Westchester. And now we're sitting with the doctor, and she's like, okay, we're going to test you. I'm like, all right, we're going to test you to see what kind of ALL it is, and we can get a clearer picture of it. So they wanted to do a bone marrow tap. Now, I don't know if you know about bone marrow taps but it's where they take a probe and they go into your bone and they take that marrow right out the bone. And they gave it to me with no anesthetic. Oh, my gosh. That's exactly what I said. Whoa. (laughs) I started praying. I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to start praying. And he was like, you know, what are you doing? I said, I'm just going to pray. Like, I don't even know what to do at this point. And she stuck that probe in. Oh, my gosh. And she started drilling down and... I was just like, Jesus. You know, I literally just said, Jesus. And um, the pain increased exponentially. Like, we were now in a lot of pain. So, we finished that, and she says, we're going to admit you to the hospital right now. And, and again, this is this is God working in, in, in crazy ways. I said, I can't be here. And she says, why not? I said, well... I got to be where Sheena is, in, in, down in the hospital where she works. You want to pick it up for them?
0: Right. And so um, what happens is she tells us, the doctor tells us, um, you have ALL because they wanted to find out what t- it's a bone cancer, what type of a blood cancer. And they just wanted to be specific on what type of blood cancer it was. And um, she said, you have ALL. You need to be admitted immediately. And so Mark said that to her. No, I can't be here. I need to be where Sheena is. Because he knew that, for us, Westchester is in no man's land. Because I work in the city, the kids are up here, it's just me. And um, if he's you know, down and he can't do anything, then it's just me. And so um, he says to me, call your boss. So the doctor says, I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to call the people that I know at New York Presbyterian. And, um, and you can go ahead and you know, do what you need to do. So I called my boss who... Um, is a a physician he's a psychiatrist and I said to him look can you tell this is what's going on can you tell me who is an expert recommend somebody for us that we can see um, at Wild Cornell and no word of a lie the moment that he tells me the name the doctor says the same name she says you're going to go see Dr. Gail Robos and my boss says my boss told me Gail Robos wow And we were like,
1: and we were
2: like, that's the person we're going to see.
1: Yes, yes. Like we're going to go see her. Go to their house and go see them right now. At that point, so
2: (laughs) we made that decision. We're going. So she says, you have to go down there right now. This is, um, you know, in the afternoon, and she says, you have to go to Westchester right now. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not supposed to release you, but I'm going to release you, and you have to go down to the city right now. So I'm sitting there like okay, if I go to the city right now, I knew I was in trouble. I knew things were bad. I knew things, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I said, you know what? I need to go back north. I need to head back towards Newburgh. Because I wanted to say goodbye to my kids. I wanted to see them and just drink them in and just love on them a little bit before I go because I didn't know how long I was going to be gone. So in all that pain, I jumped in the car and I started driving north. Now, as I'm driving, I'm, I'm praying in my head and I'm, I'm saying, God, just, just help me get there. Just help me get there to, to the kids. I just want to see them before I go. And I'm, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving. Now, mind you, Sheena couldn't drive at the time. She was having her own struggles. Do you want to? Solve? So
0: with me, I had... Um um, anxiety and the way that it manifested for me was in driving and so um, any t- I would have uh, panic attacks so anytime I got on the road uh, there was a point where I didn't drive for two years I we used to live on a cul-de-sac when we were in Newburgh and the mailboxes were at the end of the road I literally could not drive from my driveway to the end of the road that's how bad it was wow And um, it was the most debilitating thing that has ever happened to me because rationally, I I know I can drive, but any time I got in that car, I would have a panic attack. And so I couldn't drive. And I had gone and I had got therapy, but you know, I didn't like follow through the way that I should have followed through. Did a little something, but then I was like, no, I I just can't take this because um, you know, you have to um, have exposure. And the exposure is not nice, um, and so so Mark had to drive. He had to drive wow. in all that pain. He had to drive home. Wow! And I felt so so guilty. I felt so bad, and I felt so guilty. Um,
2: I can pick it up from there. Go ahead. So we drove on a Taconic, and we get back to Newburgh. And at this point, um, I sat. I remember getting into the babysitter's house, and I sat on a chair. And um, I knew I couldn't make it anymore. I, I, don't, I didn't even think I was gonna make it back to the city. I was like, you know what? We're not gonna make it. So we asked the babysitter if someone could drive us to the city. Um, and as I'm sitting on a chair and I'm, 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 I'm talking to um, Liam and Fia, you know, I said to them, you know, daddy's going away for a little bit. Um, I, I, I love you. I, I, I hope to see you again, and, and they didn't understand. They were, they were really young. Um, and I was like, you know, I just, I just wanted to just look at them and just put my eyes on it before we go. And I saw Liam's little face looking at me and he was like, Daddy, you gonna be okay? I said, I don't know.
1: That's a real moment right there.
2: I said, I don't know. But I love you and um, I'm gonna do everything I can to you know, get back. So um, they were driving us down to the city and I felt my body shutting down. I felt the pain. I felt it all just crumbling on me. And we get to the hospital. And, and I remember um, getting to the 10th floor where they had me admitted. And um, at this point I was physically done and I put my hands on the bed and I said, Jesus, is this the way I die? Is this, is this it for me? And I said, um, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with however it ends. And I collapsed on the bed. And some crazy woman <laughs> walks into my office, or walks into the, the, the bedroom, and she says, you're not gonna die. You're gonna beat this, like, talk about how, she wasn't God, a crazy
0: was, woman. It was well, a PA. It was she,
2: a, she was, it
1: was a, a, a physicist. <laughs> it was way cooler to say crazy woman though. Right. Like that was like that is dope, was, man. Like
2: she's like you're not gonna die. I was like,
1: oh. she just walked into your hospital. Just room. walked into the
2: room. Didn't know who she was, and then she introduced herself to Gina. And I'm sitting there like, oh, okay. I'm like, where do I go next? So um, I, I I lose consciousness. And uh, they start working on me. Now, as I'm losing consciousness, this is Tuesday, um, I'm seeing my life still unflash before my eyes. And I watch this journey of my life, and I can remember it like yesterday, I watched this journey of my life unfold to memories of my childhood, like when I was one, even to, and, and I'm, not, I'm just gonna tell you, even to where I was a cell in my mother's body, like I just saw a cell, like a baby, you know, in, in the womb. And then I look into this light and as it's you know, just staring me in the face, I didn't know what to say, but I hear this this voice say to me, You're gonna be okay. And I was like, wow. And I woke up that Friday not feeling any pain. Huh. This was Tuesday. I did not gain consciousness, like real reality consciousness till Friday. And I woke up and I felt no pain. I got out of bed and I went and stood by the window in the hospital and and I literally put my arms out. And I said, Jesus, whatever it is you wanna do with me, just may you walk by my side. Amen. Just use me as your vessel and just walk by my side. Now, again, we only just started going back to church and I, I, I didn't know what I was doing but I knew that's what I had to do and say so I stood by the window and I, I just let the sun beam in on me and, and that's all I said was just may you walk by my side as I walk through this journey however it may end and the doctor comes in and she says oh I see you're awake
1: she's good <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I said yeah I said You know, um, and she says, Well, we're gonna go through all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, Look, don't tell me all the things that's going to happen. Like, let's just go through them when we get there. Hmm. Don't warn me, don't inform me. Just as we take these steps, let's just walk them step by step. And she was like, Okay, okay, all right. And I said, You know, this is what I'm gonna do, Doc. And she said, What? I said, you do your job and I do mine. I don't know where this came from. And she said to me, well, I know what my job is, but, but what's your job? I said, my job is to pray. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for all these people in this hospital. I'm gonna pray that whatever this journey is, may it end
1: with him. Which you're praying Jesus's prayer in the garden. And I don't even know that. Like, I, Here's what I want, nevertheless. Not what I will, but what you will. I just want to be with you when it happens. That is Jesus's prayer.
2: That's, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> and, and she said to me, "Hmm, I've never heard that before in the 20 years I've been doing this work. And I'm sitting there like, I'm just gonna pray
1: for you. And she said, okay, good she hadn't met somebody from Oasis yet so that's probably why.
2: <laughs> and um, from there on these these things started happening with no explanation at all. You you want to add anything to this particular part? Um And then we'll get into the other.
0: Well, I'm just going to say that it was a harrowing journey because he um, he was supposed to be in the hospital for 30 days as an induction period when you have leukemia is in the hospital for 30 days to just get, um, you know, chemo and get all the other treatment that he needs. Um, he, he ended up actually only being in there 17 days, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I felt like I was on, I felt like I was on a raft. I didn't have community. I didn't have friends, um, friendship. Um, But, you know, I still was able to, um, on Sundays, I was able to come to church and, you know, I had people here who prayed with me, who laid their hands on me, people who didn't even know me. um, And it helped me to, it helped to get me through. Um, But what did happen for us um, during that period was that, you know, I had been one of these people who was very independent, who thought they could do everything by themselves I wanted to do for people. I didn't want anybody else to do for me. Um, not not that I was being standoffish, but I just felt that that was how I was supposed to be. Um, and I was supposed to be the rock, but I didn't have the friends I wanted. I had been praying for years for God to bring people into my life um, who would be those friends for me. Um, but when Mark got sick, that's when things started to change. Um, as I said before, we had somebody who was looking after the kids um, her name is Faye, we went to her, 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 her daycare. Um, we found her daycare because her husband accosted me in the HSB parking lot um, in huh. Newburgh when it was HSBC. Um, and he just gave me a flyer. And this was, this was at the end, when we were almost done with the business, when the business was almost done. Gave me um, a flyer and said, oh, you know, my wife has a daycare... You know, take the flyer, you never know. And I just put it in the glove box. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to need this. <laughs> I'll never need this. I'm not going back to work. I'm going to stay with the kids. And, or I don't want to go back to work. But when I knew that I had to go back to work, I gave that, the person a call. And um, I said, I don't know if you have room, but I have two kids. These are their ages. Um, but I can't afford the full amount. Would you be able to help with that? And so she did give us a discount. And she took the kids, and she is like a second mother to those kids.
1: Amen. She is, Amen.
0: Faye, um, her daughter Brittany, uh, was also through the daycare. We met Antoinette uh, and Rodney. Um, didn't know them, but they said, "Whatever you need, we will do for you." And I prayed about it, and I didn't have any. God was. It was clear, and you know we had another friend Rita who Mark worked with they just opened up their arms and they are now 10 years down the road they're our family Um, I never had community like this before ever when we came to Salem you know we've got all of these people that just love us we've got you know George and Cheryl and their kids and we've got Michael and Claire and their kids and everybody and it was just such a wonderful wonderful feeling to be loved, to be cared for. I just cannot say enough about people getting into community. You need it. That is where you will find yourself. That is where you will grow. That is where you will come into your own. You will just be able to come out of yourself, so you're not always thinking about yourself. You're thinking about other people, um, which allows you to grow too. So For me, this journey really was about community and no longer feeling as though you know there's this song that i grew up with and part of the lyric was no man is an island you're going to need a friend um because a problem shared is a problem solved and so that has been what this part of what our journey has taught us um that we need people
1: it took me six months to preach on friendship you could have just done it in two and a half minutes just now that was perfect
2: and um so she was going through her end and I was in my end. Um, and we were just trying to keep it together. Um, and then the next phase occurs um, where the doctors are like, all right, we're gonna take you to this bone marrow transplant. And um, you know, I was like, all right, well, let's do it. So she says, we have to find a donor. Um, so I was like, all right, um, how do we do about this? She said, do you have any family who's, you know, mother or father uh, who share the same mother and father? I said, maybe my older brother. Um, and that didn't work out. Um, he wasn't a match. So they said, well, we're gonna go to this database, be the match. And if you ever get a chance to be the match, be the match. Um, and uh, she said, we're gonna run your name in this database. We're gonna put your DNA in there. and We're gonna see if we can find a match. Now, mind you, along the way, um, I was literally in the valley of the shadow of death. Hmm. Everybody around me was not doing well. Um there was there was death all around. Um it was just circling and and I was praying and just saying, you know, Lord, whatever it is, I just as long as you walk with me. And um we get to like July, and she says, well, um, we, we, we want to talk to you about your next steps. And I was like, okay. So she said, well, we ran this test back in June and um, we didn't trust the results of the test. So we ran the test again the second time. So that's what this delay was until July. And I was like, okay, um, you know, no big deal. She says, no, I just want to tell you what the results of the test was. Now, mind you, everybody else in the, in the ward was receiving matches of about a handful of people, like one, two. They said the odds of finding a match in this database is one in 10,000. So they need 10,000 people they would have to scan to maybe find one. And there's only 10 million people in this database. Um, and you know, at the time, you know, a couple of people I met along the way um, were like, well, I had five matches. And we were like, yes. And you know, I had one match and we were like, this is good.
0: Well, the, the other thing, I'm just going to um, cut in. The other thing also is that um, what's different is because Mark is um, biracial, and so it's even more difficult because uh, people of color don't do the, um, don't the donate bone marrow um, uh, very much. And so the odds were really against him. And they told him, the odds are really against you to find, uh, for finding a match.
2: They told me I had a 4% survival rate. Just 4%. Wow. Um, and they said, you know, young men of color don't normally make it. So she comes back with these numbers, and I was like, okay, um, let's hear it. So she said, we found 9,857 potential matches. Wow. (laughs) Wow.
0: And that's why they had to check it again. They had to double-check it because 9, they thought it
2: was a
0: mistake. Eight
2: hundred and fifty-seven potential matches. I said, God made it so much so that an idiot couldn't mess it up. Right. <laughs> I mean... That's all the matches. That's all the had matches. had all of them. <laughs> you could find... And I was like, what does that mean? She says, well, we have to go through this series of eliminating people. And I was like, oh... Well, how do you do that? She says, well, we're going to eliminate anyone above 30, anyone above 40, anyone above 50. Then we're going to eliminate everyone else except between the ages of 18 and
1: 25. And I said, okay. And she said, well, no, we still have a few hundred. <laughs> like, Even Gideon is jealous. He's like, I only had, like, like, what is this? I had 300 people. You had like 9,758. Right.
2: And uh, she was like, no, you still have a few hundred people to go through. I, at that point, I just, again, left it up to God. And, um, she said, we're going to um, pick one person who's a 20-year-old person um, and, and, and praise him. Um, but he said no. The 20, the first person he said, said no. He
0: said, I'll do it next year. <laughs> and it's like, he doesn't have till next year. The
2: doctor was like, he's going to be dead by the end of the year. Like, we can't do it to next year. And they they bypassed him and, and praised Jesus that, you know, he wasn't the right one. And they found an 18 year old person who said, I'll do it. So I was like, okay, off we go. So now, um, now's the part to get ready for this transplant. And I remember the doctor coming to me and saying, do you want horse or rabbit? I was like, are we talking about horse meat or rabbit meat? Like, are we, this is what we're gonna eat? She so was like, no, this is what we do to, to To help with the transplant. Like we're gonna use either horse cells or rabbit cells to 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 go into your body and help your body take it, blah blah blah. And I was like,
1: These are not decisions you're prepared for in life.
2: No. I was like, I'll take rabbit, please. You know, just
1: I was thinking rabbit too, nice. Right. I was like, I'll just take rabbit, please. Just just happy Easter, I'll take the rabbit, please. No horse, no horse.
2: (laughs) So um I was like, all right, here we go. So now they start hitting me with radiation, chemo, everything. I mean, just blasting me uh, for a whole week. They blast you for a whole week to lead you to this transplant. And um, it was really, really difficult. So now I'm sitting in this room and and they bring me up to this room. Now um, this room was ridiculous. It was big, there were big windows um, and it wrapped around the whole hospital room, and it was, you know, I could see the, uh, the bridge in front of me, the 59th Street Bridge, I could see the Empire State Building to the right of me, and I was thinking, this room is too nice, I think I'm gonna be closer to heaven here, like, God is coming for me in this room, like, if he's gonna come, he's gonna come for me in this room, because...
1: It's nicer than the nice house you had before at the beginning what? of the story? It was,
2: it was big and it was ridiculous, I was like, all right,
1: all right, God, you know,
2: I'll be here. So, so, um, they hit me with everything they got. And um, we get to the day of the transplant. And Sheena's there. And the doctor says to me, "Um, once I stick these cells inside of you, there's no going back. And uh, if it doesn't work, you'll be dead in 72 hours. Wow. So, at that point, the only thing I could do is pray. Like, there's no nothing else. 72 hours. So he says, are you ready? I said, no. (laughs) Fair. Fair. I said, not ready. I said, can we play a song? Like, can we just play a song? And they were like, a song? What kind of song?
1: And I said, um... They shouldn't be acting weird about that after the horse rabbit option. Like, I want to play a song. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Just give
2: me a song. Just give me a song. And and, and they said, okay, what song does... You know, what do you want to play? And I said, um... It just came to me, I said, Three little birds by Bob Molly. And uh, we started playing a song. Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing's is gonna be alright. And it was just everybody in the room was Gina, crying. Sheena, your
1: voice just healed somebody in the room just now. <laughs> like somebody just got healed. I don't know who you are, but I see that hand you can put it down.
2: Everybody was crying in the room and everybody was you know, and, and that was getting me in the moment like in the spirit and it finished and the doctor says are you alright are you ready so I said I'm ready so he stuck the needle in this thing that goes into the IV and I kid you not I said Lord please just give me one more minute of life and I will face you Lord just give me one more minute of life and I will face you. I will look at you. I will praise you. Lord, just give me one moment of life. I will praise you. And, he, and he's injecting me with these cells. And I'm praying and praying and praying. And I did not stop praying. Um, and I, I was praying for one minute of life. Then I was praying for one hour of life. Then I was praying for one day of life. Then I was praying for one week of life. Come on. Then I was praying for one month of life. And I haven't stopped praying today. (laughs) Just give me that (laughs) right. The 72 hour mark came and the doctor was like, I think we see movement. You know, we see movement. And Sheena had went home that day because she was with me those three days in the hospital. Um, And I said, okay. And then again, seventeen days later, I was out of the hospital and I wow. recovered. Wow. And as I'm recovering, they put me in isolation. They they said you have to be isolated at home, you can't be near anybody, you can't you can't you can't come you have to eat a special diet. And literally I was in my, my room, my bedroom. Um, Sheena even couldn't even sleep in there with me because um, we had to keep it sterile. We had to keep it. The kids couldn't come near me. They were at the door. They would look in and say hi. And I was on 50 pills a day. Like they gave me 50 pills a day. And I couldn't think. I couldn't think. I couldn't read. Even having a conversation with anybody was very hard for me only thing i can do was pray the only thing i did was i turned inward and just asked the lord to give me the strength and keep my eyes on him and that's as simple and as bare bones as i can get it like that's all i did and as i was laying in that bed because i couldn't move because you know um i just was so weak i couldn't walk i had to be helped around the house um I couldn't even have normal conversations. All I had a conversation with is God, just God, just whatever this journey is, just just walk with me, whatever this journey is. And I tell you, he has been walking with me ever since. You can hey, talk man. about it. Yeah. He,
0: he, he held us, God held us. Um, you know, I had people at work saying to me, well, how do you do it? You know, I even had people saying to me, why do you do it? Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I, I couldn't answer them. Um, I just knew that I was on a mission. I knew the moment that we knew that this was a reality, I just had my blinkers on and I had to be there for Mark. I had to be there for the kids. I still had to work. I had to do all of these things, but I knew in me, I knew that I couldn't do it without God. It was only God that held us together, that held the whole thing together and brought all of these people um, into our lives. But I literally had to, and at a certain point I had to actually take Leave for three months. That was the most that I could do so that I could look after Mark because once he came off of steroids, he literally was like as big as my little finger. He was just skin and bone. He was weak. He had to lean on me for me to get him to the bathroom. Sometimes he couldn't make it to the bathroom. I had to give him injections because he had um, gotten blood clots, so he had to have that done every day. I I turned into a nurse. Um, It was... I tell you, you know, you said something very interesting when you talked about um, a challenge making you ready for something else in your life. My mother died at the age of 54. She had metastatic breast cancer um, and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done, gone through in my life, the hardest. She was my best friend and I was here in America and I didn't get to be there for her. My brothers were there. My sister-in-laws were there, my aunts and whatnot, cousins. But I was not able to physically be there. And it ate me up with so much guilt. And um, it stressed me out. But I'm telling you, if I had not gone through the loss of my mother, I would never have been able to deal with what happened to Mark. Never, ever. That was like I could physically feel it and mentally feel it that if I had not been broken down in that way before, I would have been in a fetal position and not known what to do when it came mm-hmm. to
2: helping to look after wow. Mark. So. Wow. so um, I'm on this journey back. I'm, I'm I'm in bed just looking at the ceiling and just praying. Cause two, like,
0: two years. Two years he was in that
2: room. I wow. I couldn't read because all the 50 pills and I was just asking God to just, whatever whatever the journey is, and, and you know, we had conversations. <laughs> I don't, you know, we were talking, and uh, you know, he, it was just, there was moments where he just was like, you know, I have something planned for you, you know, you're just gonna execute, you know, don't ask any questions, just just do as I ask when, when I ask, and, and I you know, yes, <laughs> yes, you know, um, and all of a sudden, I got well again, to a point where the doctor a year and 10 months later says we think you can go back to work. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, go back to work? Like are oh, we we living normal now? <laughs> she was like, "Yeah, um, you know, just be mindful, but but along the way, uh, wow. j- you know, as we get through these years and 10 months, I I do get sick um along the way. Um where where I, I ended up back in the hospital um and they and and they said, you know, we don't know why you got sick, um, but they had to put me in this uh, negative zero room, um, negative air, and, and uh, she was like, we almost lost you. And I was like, you know. And the funny thing is, after she said that, she said to me, are you still praying? And I said, yes, are you still working? Yes. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I'm still working. I said, then I'm still praying. Um, and uh, you know, we just had, we just had, To overcome so many things Um, and we've just been marching ever since this is and
0: we would have to say that um, for everything that we lost God has just given us so much more he has given us more than what we lost so much more that is you know that it is not you there's no way that it could have been us he has blessed us in tremendous, tremendous, tremendous
2: ways. That's amazing. And it's not even, you know, just spiritually we, we've been blessed. Physically we've been blessed. You know, just just following him um, and just just keeping our life simple. Like we, we said, we're just going to keep it simple. We're not going to live in the material world. We're not going to live in, you know, this, this crazy world. We're just going to keep it simple. Um, and that's what we've been doing <laughs> ever since. We've been trying to keep it simple.
1: Yo, I'm just saying. I, I I texted some of the leaders this morning and just said, "Hey, what are you sensing? Um, what are you sensing for the service today?" And Dan Savage texted me back right away and he said, "I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling us to keep it simple." That's what he texted this morning. And so, you know what I would like you guys to do, if it's okay, um, we're we're gonna come to the table, and I, I my prayer is that your testimony would encourage people who are in that moment where. It's not just that things aren't going well, it's that things seem to continually be getting worse and that God is consistently behind the scenes, doing things in the darkness, doing things in the tomb, doing things in the areas we would never want to go, that not only strengthen us for that moment, but then send strength ahead down the road for us, like both of you experienced. So if it would be okay with both of you and, you know, invite you, if you want to come and receive the bread I would like maybe Sheena to stand here and Mark to stand there. And just, if you just need, we're going to do it very, very quickly. But if you just need them to just put their hand on you and just encourage you that that God is in this. That God is doing something, even in the darkness. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Do not have the, uh, the communion wafers, which is perfectly fine. Don't worry about it. Everybody, if you have your communion cups, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion. And then we're going to let the worship team sing this song. And if you just want to come and have Mark or Sheena just lay hands on you for a moment and just impart some of that amazing Holy Spirit energy that they have from this testimony into your life, take communion with us and then just come forward and they'll pray with you for a couple of seconds. And so you could line up down here if you want them to lay hands on you and line up down on this far aisle if you want them to lay hands on you. I truly believe that the, 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 the principle of touch is so important in the kingdom of God. And so I just, again, it's like coming to the altar, but I feel like after we take communion, if you feel like you just want, their, their testimony is meant to be given as alms. It's meant to be generosity. So they just want to lay hands on you for a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to move in your life and, and be generous with the, with the faith that they have. So on the night when you were betrayed, Lord God, you took bread. And after you had given thanks because you are the spirit of thanksgiving who can give thanks at night. You can give thanks in betrayal. You can give thanks in sickness. You can give thanks in the face of death. You can give thanks. And I thank you that Mark and Sheena are the echoes of that thanksgiving that in the middle of their turmoil on the night when they could have felt betrayed They gave thanks. They stayed together. They held it together. They were unified. You were strengthening them from the past and from the future at the exact same moment. After you had given thanks, you broke the bread and you said, this is my body offered to all of your brokenness to bring healing. And after supper, you took the cup of wine and you said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of it, drink of it in remembrance of me. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray for every cup in this room that you would descend on it right now in your your wonderful congregation's hands. And that you would make this bread and this cup the body and blood of Jesus, the, the ultimate transfusion of all transfusions. And that as we place it into our bodies, we would be filled with newness of life. I pray that you would descend on it and make it the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And that you would sanctify us also, that we might be bread for the world and offer ourselves as alms to those that we're going to meet this week. And I pray for anyone who comes forward that there would be a, that there would be a transfer of faith from Mark and Sheena into the lives of anyone who's feeling like they could just use a dose of that kind of faith. And I pray that we would leave here today rejuvenated and excited to bring glory to your name. And everybody said, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you partake with me this morning? And then feel free to come forward as the worship team sings.
0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be.